0: The congregation, please open the Holy Scriptures to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. We're looking at verses 22 through 26. only four verses, but there is a lot in these four verses. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26. Please join with me in prayer to our God. Lord God Almighty, we once again come to Thee. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the preservation of our lives another day. That we might come to this place to hear Thy Word read, sung, and preached, to partake in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, to worship Thee. To set our eyes upon Thee afresh. To come, as the Puritans said, to the market day of the soul, Lord's Day. Where we might get all of those resources, all of those necessities, all of those needs. For which we are to live the Christian life the rest of the week. Mm. To feed upon, to meditate. Lord, feed us a good meal this day. Give us good supply by which we might serve Thee. Mm. Help this Preacher. To preach thy word. Help all of us to hear thy word. To obey it out of love to thee. To follow thee. To grow in our knowledge and our understanding of thee. Holy Spirit, we depend upon thee. We ask that Satan would be rebuked. That The good seed of the word will land upon good soil, O God, and Thou wouldst give it increase, that we would rest in Thy righteousness and Thy truth. We would rest in what Thou hast done for us, Lord Jesus. Thou art our great God and our Savior. Thou art our joy, our hope, our life. Speak now to us through Thy word. We depend upon Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. You know the word of God in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 22. And he, being Jesus, cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to the congregation. We come now in our exposition of Mark's gospel to a most peculiar and interesting scene. The miracle of Christ in this passage stands out among all of his other miracles in a curious fashion. It was not completed, as was his usual habit, immediately by a single touch or by the bare speaking of a word. But rather, it was progressive. It was in stages. However, let us not be led into vain speculation regarding this. Rather, as in all of the Word of God and all the works of Christ, let us be instructed, let us be fed, let us be experientially and practically helped, casting ourselves all the more upon Christ because of His Word, because of His work, because of His person, all the more upon Christ who works freely, who works powerfully and wonderfully in all those who come unto him. Let's not be caught up in vain speculation. It is worth noting where this miracle took place. The place where this miracle occurred, namely in Bethsaida. This was a town of little faith. Bethsaida was a town of little faith, a place that Jesus spoke some of his harshest curses upon, like the one we read in Matthew eleven twenty one. he says, Woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works, which were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. It was a town that was unwilling and unable to receive the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But it is from here, it is from this unfaithful, unreceptive place Bethsaida that a few friends bring a blind man unto Jesus and then besought him to touch him. From this, let us learn, dear congregation, to be diligent, to be diligent in bringing the spiritually blind to Jesus. Perhaps the man had himself no interest and did not go willingly, but yet his friends loved him enough to bring him to Christ for healing. If the spiritually blind around us, dear congregation, are unwilling to pray and are unwilling to come of themselves to Jesus, yet we might bring them to Christ in our prayers for them, beseeching that the Lord might touch them. That Jesus might heal them. He might save them. He might give them spiritual eyes with which to see his salvation and trust therein. It is true that God often makes prayers given on behalf of others effectual. Who will not pray for themselves. I was such a one who was delivered by that means. Who was saved by that means. People praying for me. I didn't pray for myself. I was brought to saving faith because others were diligent in praying for me for years. In the peculiar passage before us, let us consider 3 points. Number 1, Christ works how he desires. Christ works how he desires. Secondly, Christ works sometimes in stages. Christ works in stages. Third, Christ works by grace through faith. First, Christ works how and when he pleaseth, always. God is not tied, dear congregation, to any one means of accomplishing his purposes. He's not tied to only doing it one way or another. The Lord Jehovah, as Daniel 4.35 says, doeth according to his will. Nothing stops him from doing that. God does not consult with man. He does not take man's thoughts or man's desires into consideration in his decrees, and his execution of those decrees. Therefore, we cannot, and we must not, dear congregation, assume that we can somehow systematize God's free and sovereign working. We cannot systematize his working. Theology is not a perfect science. It is the queen of the sciences, as it used to be acknowledged by everyone. But it is not a perfect and exact science. God is on a, per, a thing to be studied and systematized. He's a person to be loved, a person to be known, a person to be walked with and lived with. God is free and his sovereign working, and God works how he desires, how he wills. He executes his purposes in his way, according to his wisdom, and God be thanked for it. Mm. A few examples of this. God works... God is free in his working, as we see in the miracle before us. In no other miracle, in all of the Gospels, do we see a process of healing from Jesus. A process of healing. It is only Mark who records this progressive work of Christ, if you might so call it. The particular circumstances surrounding this case are instructive to us. Let us pay attention to them. We read that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, out of Bethsaida. The town was unbelieving. The town rejected Christ, and thus was unworthy of any further demonstrations of Christ's power, and Christ's grace, and Christ's mercy. So by his taking of the blind man out of her walls, he rebuked Bethsaida. He rebuked her. Christ led this blind man, blind man by the hand. Imagine it. I don't think any blind man has ever had such a leader with which to lead him. Today, Christ continues to lead many poor blind souls unto healing and salvation. The blind man's friends led him out to Jesus and from there Christ took over. Jesus took over and grabbed his hand and led him Further, in this light, let us learn to be like Job was, namely eyes to the blind, as we read in Job 29.15. As Christians, we are what? manfishers. We are man fishers. So let us labor in our fishing and labor in pulling up our nets up into our boats and then bring that catch to Christ. We cannot save any. We do not save any, including ourselves. We may plant, we may water, we may reap that harvest, but it is Christ who causes the growth, who causes the increase, Amen. who causes the end of the matter. Next, Jesus spits on his eyes and puts his hand upon him. As in the previous miracle last week that we saw, this is done not to point to the means themselves. Spit can heal no one. I've even consulted some of those and The medical field in our congregation they have not told me that spit can at any time heal the blind or the deaf but to he who works powerfully through the means are we to look we don't look at the means themselves the spitting and the touching but we are taught to look past and through these outward signs to christ who does the work through those means Christ who works is the object of our faith, dear congregation, not the means through which he works. I have seen many ministers and ministries see God work through some method or another. Some tent revival they did, some outreach mechanism they used. They've seen God work through it. They've seen what appears to be good fruit come from that thing. And then they assume that the, that the method itself is the key to the success they saw in the ministry. Well, God has used, dear congregation, all imaginable means to bring salvation to lost souls. We couldn't even number them. And all of those means often differ vastly. They differ greatly one from another. But the one constant in all of these cases is what Christ, 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 we must not trust in one evangelistic method or effort over another, or one apologetic method or meth- method or system over another. Though certainly some apologetic methods are better than others, I think we can agree that some have greater strengths. Rather, we must pray the Lord of the harvest as those who go out that he would not only send further laborers into the fields, but would make those labors effectual apart from christ working in with and through our preaching dear congregation it is of no value in itself christ follows up with the man asking him if he saw aught, meaning anything at all do you see anything the man's sight was not fully restored he looked up and said i see men as trees walking strange comparison to the other miracles after this Jesus placed his hands upon the man once again, and then the blind saw every man clearly, we read. Here, Christ does in a process what he may have done instantly. Mm. What he may have done in an instant, he chose to do progressively. Again, the question why, I think is entirely the wrong question. Rather, we must ask this, how may I profit... From the word and work of Christ. Not question it. Not a vain speculation. Christ works how he pleases. We also see this. That it demonstrates Christ's sovereignty. And his singularity. Christ's sovereignty and singularity. Is demonstrated in this miracle. God is free to work how he desires. Because God is sovereign. God is free to work how he desires because he is sovereign. He controls all things. He predestinates all things. He governs all things. He works all things for his own purposes, for his own glory. He is the sovereign and singular cause of all things. Mm-hmm. Our confession phrases it like this God is, quote, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable that is unchanging and most righteous will for his own glory. London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 2, paragraph 1. Amen. God does not seek advice from any creature, does he? Nope. He is infinite in himself and thus has infinite knowledge and will in himself. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty four, 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, none. Not only is Christ, dear congregation, the only Sovereign, capital S, over all things, who does all that he pleases, Jesus being the creator, the sustainer, and the governor of all things. But Jesus is therefore also the singular cause of all things. In other words... Because Christ can use any means he chooses to accomplish his purposes, it is then therefore only he that can accomplish those ends. Whatever the outward means he uses may be. Jesus chose, and I think somewhat curiously to us, to heal the man in stages, using his own spit and his own touch to do so. But it was not the system or the process nor the saliva and touch that did the work, was it? Rather, it was the power of Christ himself working in and through those means. His own sovereign purposes, his own sovereign power of Jesus Christ. The witnessing or receiving of a miracle, the reading and preaching of the word can do nothing for man in and of themselves. Rather, it is Christ who makes them effectual in his purposes. Again, we must therefore trust Jesus, who works all things how he so chooses. This must bring us to faith, not questioning, not fear, but faith. Trust. It is not our duty to question Christ's working, but rather to submit unto it. Rather to submit unto it. It is our gospel in our gospel witnessing, when we're going out sharing the gospel with our neighbors, our friends, our family, on the street corners, in a church, whatever it may be, in our gospel witnessing, if the method be godly and not carnal, we're not going out there trying to win people with carnal means and entertainment, but we are trying to preach the Bible to people and point them to Jesus Christ. If the method we are employing is godly and not carnal, we must not busy ourselves wondering if it can be effective. But we must rather pray the Lord Jesus that he would, by the power of his Holy Spirit, make it effectual. What what I mean by that. So oftentimes, we wonder if I should employ this apologetic method, that apologetic method. How should I go about approaching this or that person? Which route should I go? What Bible verses should I use? Should we set up a tent and let people come to us? Should we knock on their doors and go to them? Mm. Those are all things to consider. I'm not saying we don't consider those things. Mm. But then the day we should give way less thought to them than to praying the Lord of the harvest that he would make it effectual because it is him and not our method, not our words, not our intents that will do the work. Amen. We must have faith and trust in him to do the work. In the hearing of a sermon, in the partaking of the supper, we ought not to set our eyes on the thing itself, as we talked about. From our confession earlier. But rather, we should beseech God, as did the men in the passage, that He would powerfully work through them. Secondly, Christ often completes His work in stages, or sometimes completes His work in stages. Again, we cannot systematize the works of Christ in Providence. We see this first in the conversion of souls, the scriptures, church history and our own personal experiences testify to us that people are often brought by the Lord to saving faith in Jesus Christ by various means and various processes. Mm -hmm. In rare cases, some, like John the Baptist, are filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. But I don't think we should count on that to be the norm. Mm -hmm. Some, by the prayers and diligent labor of their parents and fellow church members, cannot recall a time that they did not Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not trust Him. Others, during some time of their adolescence, respond to gospel preaching and faith. And for others, it's not till the height of their lives, the midway, and after much internal wrestling and much sinful living, that they cast themselves into the arms of the Redeemer. Still others, it may not be till the twilight of life or upon some deathbed that they believe upon the Savior of the world. For many, it is only after a long process of hearing sermons, hearing their friends tell them about Jesus, their family members, reading the Word, and that in response with much resistance to what they're hearing and and reading. After some long process like that, then they come to saving faith. Such was the case with the Apostle Paul, who, while highly trained in the Scriptures under Gamaliel, having acquaintance with the doctrine of Christ's disciples and the gospel, intimate acquaintance with it, after persecuting the church of Jesus Christ unto blood, it was only after a miraculous vision of Jesus Christ on the road that left him blind, and the faithful ministry of Ananias to him, that he came to faith in Christ Jesus. It was a long process. Unlike some who, after maybe one sermon one reading of a passage in scripture, one conversation with an evangelist at their door or on the side of the road, one reading of a gospel tract that they were handed or that they picked up off the ground, come to immediate faith in Christ, Paul was only born again after a long process of resisting, of wrestling, of preaching, and of praying. We also see this in the case of the two sons in Christ's parable. The elder son had faithfully served his father all of his days, all of his life, while the younger son cruelly demanded his inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die, father. Give what is going to come to me in my inheritance now so I can have it. I don't care about you. I don't care about the family business. I don't care about my brother. I want my money. You're as good as dead to me now. He cruelly demanded his inheritance. Then he ran off to foreign lands. And only after completely and utterly undoing himself, being brought to poverty and slavery, having wasted all of his inheritance on what we read as riotous living, it was only till then that he came in humble repentance to his father and was received again with the best robe, with a ring, shoes for his feet, as well as a merry celebration, feasting upon the fatted calf of his family. We read about that in Luke 15. The one son never left his father's side, diligently and dutifully served him as his son all the days of his life. But the other son, the younger son, only truly became his father's son after great sinning and great repenting. So too, in God's saving work, some people see the truth of the gospel and the loveliness of Christ instantly. Others only come to see it clearly after first having seen it dimly, as men walking like trees. We also see this process sometimes and the sanctification of his redeemed people. Although salvation, dear congregation, is instantaneous, the twinkling of an eye, Instantaneous, A man being eternally justified the very moment he is born again by the Holy Spirit and given that faith to believe as a gift. Yet, the Christian's growth and godliness is progressive and partial throughout this life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We all begin our Christian life seeing men as trees walking. Throughout our Christian life, by the inward power of the Holy Spirit and the diligent use of the means of grace, we are daily brought to see the truth as it is in Jesus more clearly. Daily. As the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. From one stage of knowledge and dedication of the Lord to the next. From one glory to to the next. In salvation we have been predestinated what? to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8:29. This is what progressive throughout our life. Like Paul, we are not yet perfect, but rather forgetting those things which are behind, your failures and the things you've accomplished, we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus. Philippians 3:13 through 14. We've often seen it explained that sanctification is like a man falling up an escalator. And it's true. We make mistakes, we fall back into sin, but yet it's progressive, it's upward. Mm-hmm. No matter what, we're being taken up as saved, redeemed, born-again people by the Holy Spirit. From glory to glory. The work of sanctification, dear congregation, like. All aspects of our salvation is entirely the work of God. Our sanctification, our growth, and our knowledge and holiness is entirely the work of God. Yet, it is our duty to give ourselves to growing in holiness, to growing in dependence upon Christ. Knowing that it is only by abiding in Christ, who is the vine, that we, the branches, can bear the fruits of salvation. For without him, as he says, we can do nothing. Read about that in John 15, 5. It is true that we who are saved shall never be lost. Amen. That nothing can ever pluck us from Christ's hand. And that he which hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But it is also true, dear congregation, that it is our duty... To work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as Preach. though it belonged to us. Preach. Well, why? Well, why? How do we do that? Because we know that it is God which worketh in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. Philippians 1.6 and 2.12 and 13. As Christians, as Christians, dear congregation, we know that because we have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, as Paul says in Colossians, it is therefore, based on that, our duty, independence upon God's power, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove, we may test, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Romans 12.2. We should never expect our sanctification to be perfect in this life an unrealistic and impossible goal but we do have confidence that though we may backslide though we may run into destructive sin for a season though we may have seasons in our life where we seem to make almost none almost no or very little progress in our faith yet christ will preserve our souls that we that we have entrusted to him Christ will preserve our souls that we have entrusted to him. Amen. We, we shall see him as he truly is one day. We shall see him as he truly is one day. He shall continue to renew our hearts, to renew our minds until that perfect day that we shall see him face to face as he truly is, without our sin and in perfect holiness, like this blind man in our passage. In this life we often see through a glass that is a mirror darkly. But the day is coming dear congregation when we shall be completely redeemed, we shall be completely glorified and then we shall see him face to face. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12:2. As this man in the passage, let us daily receive Christ's gospel ointment upon our eyes that we may see and live honorably. Dear congregation, make diligent use of the means of grace. Be diligent in your use of the means of grace. How often do you, do you improve the sermon that you heard preached? How often do you seek out opportunities to hear more sermons? How diligently do you give yourselves to Scripture? And to prayer. How constantly are you actively believing the promises of God in His Word? How dependently, dear congregation, do you rest upon the gospel which is preached to you through the signs and symbols of the Lord's Supper, resting upon your crucified Savior who gave His body and His blood for you that He might have you as His own possession? Dear Christian, sanctification is not our work. Sanctification is not our work, but it is our duty. It is our duty. Without holiness, none shall see the Lord. Your progress in sanctification ought never to be the grounds, dear Christian, of your assurance. That foundation, that assurance, that solid rock is Christ Jesus crucified, risen, and reigning alone. That alone, he alone, and his work alone is the foundation of your assurance. Yet, the working out of your salvation in your sanctification serves you as what? A comfort that the Christ who has saved you is indeed working in you. Mm. Let us then give ourselves to the renewing of our minds by the word of God. Read privately, read in the family, read in the congregation, and preached. We must give ourselves more diligently. Let us then therefore also dependently live unto him out of gratitude for his salvific work, which is what sanctification looks like. We also see progressive work of Christ in the building of his church here on earth. As in the salvation and the sanctification of sinful souls, so too in the building of his church here on earth, Christ often works by different means and in steps or in stages, in a process. For most of history, God's people were confined to a small nation in the Middle East called Israel. After Christ's resurrection and ascension, there were 120 members in his church, But, as Jesus promised, the gates of hell could not withstand the gospel onslaught of his church. At Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Then many more through preaching until persecution dispersed Christ's church from Jerusalem throughout the Mediterranean, throughout Asia, throughout Africa. Churches were established wherever the apostles went. After the death of the apostles, the church, even in the midst of savage Roman persecution, continued to grow and spread throughout the world. By the Reformation in the 16th century, all of Europe professed the name of Christ. After the Reformation, the pure gospel of Christ was reclaimed. And by some of the greatest missionary movements the world has ever seen, the gospel was taken to the farthest reaches of the planet. Today, dear congregation, billions of people in every country on this earth call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him as their God and their Savior. Mm. Truly, the psalmist prophecy is being fulfilled in Psalm 2, 7 and 8. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen. For thine inheritance, that's all the world. And the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. We see this all around us today. Let us not then be paralyzed by the evil we are seeing here in the West, dear congregation. We are indeed seeing evil. We are seeing backsliding. Abandonment of the gospel. More people worship Jesus Christ. We must understand this. More people worship Jesus Christ as their God and their Savior today than ever before in history ever before in history christ's church in the west is being purified it's being judged and the wheat is being sifted from the chaff and her gospel witness afterwards will be more powerful than ever before america and europe it is true so all the west has grown hostile to the gospel But Christ's church is conquering large swaths of Central and South America, Korea, India, Africa, Russia, and the Middle East. And many of those movements, some of the biggest ones, are Reformed Baptist movements. Or Reform movements, especially in Korea and China. The Reformed church is growing astonishingly in China. Communist China. The direction our leaders want to take us here in our country. We we don't need to be paralyzed or dismayed. God is working. Stand upon the promise of Christ, dear congregation. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm. When the sword of the gospel goes forth, it will slay her enemies. Nations will bow. This begins with us, though. Let us take our faith seriously. We must give ourselves to Christ more diligently, dear congregation. If we are not passionate about Jesus Christ, if we don't take our Bible seriously and see it to be life itself, sweeter than the honeycomb, the words of God, if we don't take preaching seriously and improve it and come to church to hear it and worship together and serve one another and go out and evangelize, if we don't do that, why would we expect anything to change? Mm. We can't sit back and complain. Murmur against the Lord Jesus Christ, because we refuse to do anything. Mm. We must take our faith seriously. We cannot expect that others will if we do not. Third, Christ does his work by grace through faith. Christ, the object of faith, is the one who works by his grace. The blind man had not been healed had not his friends in faith led him by the hand to Jesus. He simply wouldn't have been healed. It is by faith alone that we are saved, and by faith alone that we shall see the world bow the knee to Christ. Dear congregation, dear Christian, dear individual member sitting in front of you in my church, have you ever prayed for the conversion of an entire town? Have you? Have you ever prayed for the conversion of an entire city or an entire nation? Why not? Mm. There is no verse that says it cannot happen. But we do see an entire city of hundreds of thousands of people repenting at the preaching of Jonah and Nineveh. That is what we see. Where is our faith? Yet, we must ensure, dear congregation, that Christ is the object of this faith. Not our work. Not our ministry. Not our preaching. The man's friends did not bring him out because they had faith that spit and hands sometimes heal blindness, but rather they had faith that Christ was able and willing to restore all those who came to him. He works how and when he pleaseth, but he works in the same measure that his people believe. His grace is irresistible in its working, but it is also, always effectual, dear congregation. I mean, it causes those that he has elected to save to freely come to him in faith. As Jesus said in John six thirty seven: All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Only those, therefore, whom the Father has given to the Son that is elected shall come to Jesus. But those whom the Father has elected will in faith come to him. We see that the scriptures uphold both the absolute sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man together without apology and without qualification. Vain speculation simply does not work here. Destroys the scriptures, meaning. The means through which God works are just as much decreed by him as the ends which the means bring to pass. The means through which God works are just as much decreed by him as the ends which the means bring to pass. Christ must remain the object of faith in all these means to his end, though, and never the means as the ends themselves. If we wish to grow in grace, let us be diligent to use the means. However, what is the right use of the means, then? The only right use of the means is when... They are used as windows, dear congregation, through which to look upon Christ. That is the right use of the means. The chewing of the bread and the drinking of the cup are of no value to the soul in themselves. But only when, by faith, they are received as visible signs of the spiritual realities of Christ's work on our behalf. Therefore, faith must be placed upon Christ. Mm. obvious, why am I saying that to Christians? Because Christians need to put their faith in Jesus Christ every day. Active, continual, present faith. When you open your Bible to read, dear congregation, you must combine the lighting of your physical eyes upon this page with desperate and dependent prayers to God that he would apply the scriptures to your heart and cause them to be effectual in your life. We must pray, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Minister to me, my Father, for thy child stands ready to receive. True faith, dear congregation, is present, is active, is continuous. It is not the completion of a few sacred Christian devotional goals in the morning. Rather, it is a continual casting of oneself up upon Christ, who is ready and willing to embrace us and to aid us in our Christian life. That's what active faith is. That's what true faith is. Paul lived unto God. The Apostle Paul lived unto God because he saw himself as dead to his old life, being raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. He labored to obey and honor God out of gratitude for what God had done for him in Christ Jesus. We see his Heidelbergian connection here in Galatians 2.22. I am crucified with Christ, says the Apostle Paul. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See the connection he makes the entire Christian life there. He recognized what Christ had done. Namely, made him, by regeneration, a man dead to self and alive to Christ. Mm. And from this, Paul recognized his duty to live unto God by faith in Jesus. All fueled and founded upon loving gratitude for Jesus, for his sweet and selfless love unto him. Notice, however, where faith is absent, so too is the work of Christ. Where faith is absent, so too is the work of Christ. Christ led the blind man. He led him out of the town, out of Bethsaida. Why? Because Bethsaida was faithless and had rejected him. After healing the blind man, Jesus sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. See that in verse 26. Now, Christ did not tell the man to tell no one about the miracle, But only those in the town of Bethsaida. The residents would have nothing to do with Jesus. So he would have nothing to do with them. He would not give them the benefit of speaking with this healed man. When they would not even respect Christ enough to go witness the cure themselves with their own eyes. Let us heed this warning. We as Christians, we should heed this warning warning. Be not faithless, but believing. Christ warned the church in Ephesus, saying, I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Revelation 2.5 In large part, Christ's candlestick, that is, his gospel witness, has been removed from the church in America, hasn't it? Church in the West. Let us be diligent that we do not join in with them. Mm. do not trust yourself trust Christ you think you, you always stand strong on sound doctrine so have many men better than you yeah. who have gone astray Yeah. let us be diligent we don't join with these people who have abandoned the gospel the gospel coalition the gospel coalition the false gospel coalition more like it Where there is no faith in Christ, there is no work of Christ to be seen. How easy, dear congregation, and hear me now, as you who live today in this country, in this state, how easy it is to grow complacent in our faith. Yet, what more dangerous time for us to do so than now? Another pastor was arrested in Canada. Pastors will be arrested here. Heed, Paul, in Romans thirteen, twelve through 14. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Dear congregation, let us cast ourselves upon the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, trusting in his person and in his work, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and diligently serve him who can restore our sight, not in part, but entire, and shall do so one day. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we once again come before thee. We ask for thy help we might cast ourselves individually and as a congregation upon thy Son, Jesus Christ. Might depend in loving, obedient faith upon thy power, Holy Spirit. We'll walk in a way pleasing to thee, O God. O Father, that we might be strengthened to stand in this evil day. As ranks among us fall, may we stand secure. Be thou our shield. Mm -hmm. Be thou our foundation, our high tower. We trust ourselves to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.